WBXE's top five for the third week in November, and you'd think there'd be nothing left to talk about because all the big races have happened. We're entering the dog days of late fall, early winter. But oh no, we found five pretty damn good stories this week. My name is Michael Doyle, and I am joined, as always, by Andrew Crookshank. Andrew, how are you doing today? Are you excited to talk about the weird shit that we've dug up? I am, yeah. We've got some uh, some weird ones, some pretty shocking ones today. I'm excited to chat about them. And Alex Sear, are you blown away by how many fast Japanese half marathoners there are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer, yes. I can't wait to talk about That's maybe my personal favorite for this week. So as we've just uh, hinted at, we're going to talk about an insane half marathon in Japan uh, a interesting coaching choice and rollerblading in Berlin. <laughs> rollerblading. Yes, rollerblading, among other things. First topic, and this is one that's already made the rounds quite a bit on social media, but I think the layer deeper is interesting. There was a cross-country race in Buffalo last week that didn't end up being a cross-country race, Andrew. What happened instead? Uh, it got switched to the roads. This was the uh, the Northeast Regionals Cross Country NCAA Division One Championships. Um, and what happened was the golf course they were supposed to run on got covered in ice and snow. And oh, come on! <laughs> Put on yeah. the spikes, the longer spikes, and you'll be fine. Uh, they're not as used to it down there. Well, maybe in Buffalo they are. Yeah, but, no doubt. <laughs> um, but but what happened was uh, it wasn't announced until Wednesday night, kind of two days before the race. So a lot of the teams didn't know it was being switched to the road. So they only had their spikes. Um, so many of the athletes had to run just in their spikes with the pins out. Oof, that, that'd be tough. Yeah, but there was a few exceptions. A couple of the teams, um, Harvard, Cornell, and Syracuse, uh, happened to bring uh, flats with them. Um, and uh-huh. those flats happen to be vapor flies. Um, which, oh, come on. <laughs> which, strangely enough, Harvard, who went in, ranked fourth on the men's side, fifth on the women's side, ended up winning both. So I don't know what that says. Alex, what, uh, there was some analysis done, and this is why we, we jumped on this story. There was, a, there was a little bit of analysis done, what was, uh, what was found out uh, when, when crunching the numbers a bit. So after Harvard won on the men's and the women's side, someone took it upon themselves to conduct a statistical analysis of the women's race. And they found that if the women, the Harvard women didn't wear the vapor flies, they would have finished third and not first. And then on the men's side, Harvard was first, Cornell was second. Both teams wore the vapor flies and some of the guys were getting heckled, getting a hard time for wearing the vapor flies saying, you only won because you got the best shoes. And then one of the Harvard athletes used their education wisely and came back to their coach and said, don't worry, coach. If we were 4% faster, we still would have won. Oh, that's, that's some impressive grade nine it's math. cheeky. I'm that, uh, that Ivy League educated kid. Um, just real quickly, as we're all Canadian here, we've all run some cross-country races in the past that were uh, pretty brutal. Uh, Alex, what's the worst cross-country conditions you've ever raced in? Mine were 2016 AUS uh, Cross Country Championships at St. FX University. It was just a really rainy day, and our race was after a bunch of open races, and the women's race was before ours, and it was the conditions weren't too bad. It was raining. It was cold. There was no snow, but the course was so slippery. I remember we were slipping all over the place. That was probably the worst. I managed to stay on my feet, though. And Andrew? Uh, this one would be up 
for debate, I think, um, among other people who ran it. But my worst one was um, the OUAs, the University Provincial Championships in 2011 in Ottawa. Uh, we had to do loops in Mooney's Bay up this massive hill four times, then run across the beach like a sandy beach. And then we finished on a, a track and it just destroyed me. <laughs> I can just hear the as you're doing that and also like wanting to die at the same time. It's not cross country unless you want to like puke as you're doing it. I uh, wish I looked like those chariots of fire guys. <laughs> and the weird white uh, outfits. Um, I think mine was, I think it was 2010 Canadian cross country championships. Victoria. In, no, or it was 11 maybe. It was either 9, 10 or 11. It was a long time ago, almost about 10 ish years ago. Um, that, uh, it was in Guelph at the Arboretum and it, I mean, it was 11 or 12. Anyway, a long time ago, I'm old and it was crazy blowing snow and they had to delay the start because, uh, you couldn't see where to go. Like it was a, a big open field at this great cross country course. And then it, veered hard right i remember about a couple hundred meters down and you couldn't see where to veer so they actually waited until the the, the blowing snow kind of like calmed down a little bit it was awesome that Crazy. that race also had a really nasty hill you had to do a few times and i <laughs> remember thinking each time i went up it like don't fall on your face i love yeah. that course the rest in peace to the old arboretum course yeah. it's a, it was a classic next topic and i get to i get to try my dutch out here the at the zephyr hoofenloop <laughs> which is I kind of butchered that one, which basically translates into seven hill loop, right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, seven hills run. Seven hills run loop, uh, which is a 15K race in the Netherlands this past weekend. Quietly, probably the batshit craziest performance of the year in a year of really batshit crazy performances. Alex, what was that performance? It was 44.19 for 15 kilometers. So that was by Leta Senbet Gide of Ethiopia. She's only 21. You may remember her name from this year's world championships in Doha. She was second in the 10,000 meters. But the even more impressive thing is if we dissect this 15K that she ran further, her last 10 kilometers were apparently split in 29.13, which is, I think, what? five. Yeah. Five seconds faster than Almaz Ayana's current world record. Current 10,000 meter on the track world record. On the track world record. Andrew, we all know is uh, the track is typically quite a bit faster than road races. Um, this is nuts. This is a little bit like under three minutes a kilometer pace. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. I, I think when we worked it out, it came out to something like two fifty-seven per kilometer, yeah, something around right. there. Um, yeah, I, I got to give the uh, the people at Let's Run credit for this one, but they they crunched the numbers on the the IAAF um, scoring table, and it equates to a one hundred three half marathon, which yeah. would also be a world record by like a lot, by like a minute. Yeah, wow. yeah, this this doesn't it almost doesn't make sense. Like like it's so fast world mm. record wise too it's to mention that she broke the previous world record by about a minute and 20 so joycelyn jepkoskai who's been running well this fall had it from 2017 so it used to be 45 37 now 44 19 and that was probably within the half marathon world record that jepkoskai ran i think i might not yeah. be correct on that one but yeah because yeah, right. 15k is like a weird distance it's not a distance that there's not many of them offered out there by the way this uh uh 
Seven Hills. I'm not even going to try to say it in Dutch again. A uh, race which has been going on for like 35 years. Looks really beautiful. There's video of it. We'll link to it in the in the newsletter. There's a video a video of the entire race you can watch. Uh, really good broadcast. Like really, it looks like a very professional high-level race. Um, it runs through like this majestic forest. This is paved path through this majestic forest. But Andrew, this it's like a pretty hilly race. So this is crazy performance. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently just in the, the first, uh, kind of five, five and a half kilometers, it goes up, um, 46 feet, uh, in, in height and then gets even worse from there. So, which is a mountain in the Netherlands, not, <laughs> not known as the hilliest place in the world. Uh, well, that's incredible. I think that, that, could be what's your take on this 159 marathon 214 women's world record or this 15k time what's the most jaw-dropping performance of the year it's 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 hard to know i mean the this translates uh to a marathon a 211 women's marathon but we know that the tables aren't that accurate (laughs) going from 15k to a marathon so it's hard to say and then of course kipchoge's time there are all the asterisks I, i don't know i think it's up there. It's up Stuff. there. It's, it's up tough. there. Andrew, do you have a hot take before yeah, we this? I, I mean, I think, yeah, Kipchoge's is easily the most accessible race of it because everyone understands it was an easy barrier to see. Two hours, yeah. it makes sense, and, and people can, can understand that and get behind that. But, man, I, I kind of vote for this one. This one's insane. It, it really is. Well, hopefully she sticks around in the sport. Hopefully she... Uh, contends for maybe a major marathon in 2020 that would be cool to watch uh, anyway topic number three top american marathon runner and member of now former controversial training group the nike oregon project now formally coached by alberto salazar has a new coach andrew who is that um, yeah, Jordan Hesse is uh, has taken on Paula Radcliffe, uh, the former marathon world record holder, as a coaching advisor. So it sounds like she's going to coach her remotely um, with uh, Hesse living in California, back with her her parents. Um, so she's looking for a little bit of a change up. Um, Paula Radcliffe is or was a Nike sponsored athlete and still has a connection with Nike. So, uh, I would imagine she is still on the Nike payroll from my understanding. She is. Otherwise I don't think she would be fronting for Nike so much. So yeah, I would say that's safe to say that. Yeah. So it makes sense that, uh, she would be an inheritor of, of Salazar, I guess, as, as a next coach. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Alex, she, uh, Hase also came out of, I guess, hiding maybe is a strong word, but, she made her first public statements about the Mary Kane uh, situation and also about Salazar to Runner's World uh, this week. What was that about? Yeah, so it seems like Hesse is almost a bit of two minds. So she does mention, you know, I feel for Mary Kane. Um, I didn't know the situation was that bad. But the, this article kind of uh, makes her look like an Alberto apologist. There are not many out there. It seems like perhaps Hase is one. So I'll read a little passage here. When she's asked about Alberto, she says, Alberto, if you ask me, is he obsessed with weight? Yes, but he's obsessed about everything, she said. He wanted to cut my hair to reduce drag. This one's my favorite. He wanted me to wear a wetsuit in the Boston Marathon. What? <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> one of those speedo suits maybe um it's just every little detail she says is covered and weight happens to be one of those things uh, andrew first of all this man I, just, I don't mean to be railing on running media again but like this the the meat of this story is buried in the back half of it it's talking about burying the lead here with runner's world i mean come on guys uh it, what's your reaction to this what do you think how do you feel about where hesse is with this right now what's uh, to me it it's not a good look for her yeah i i was excited when i saw that hesse was finally stepping forward and making a comment but but it I mean, a the fact that you have to scroll to the bottom of the article to to see it, uh, and it just feels kind of like a PR spin, like like it's very bland, like it, it just left me kind of with nothing. I I feel like she has she's kind of trying to ride the line between both, um, which maybe is just her way of staying out of trouble with the issue. Yeah, I mean, we and we had a a little debate about this before we hit the record button on this uh, about the role that an athlete has in today's culture and i feel pretty strongly that i mean you're a professional athlete you're taking money from people like nike and you're in the public sphere you're racing major races you're um, an advertising tool uh, you don't mind the attention when it's positive you have a responsibility that's my my opinion is my take is that you've got a responsibility and particularly you've got a responsibility to someone like mary kane and to the running community the, the running public and this is to me just like a little too late uh and also uh, it's either a dishonest response or this person really just does not have a very good understanding of the situation. And that's possibly the truth. I don't know. Uh, I don't know Jordan has a, so, um, final thought about the Radcliffe has partnership. It seems like a pretty convenient partnership at this moment. Uh, Radcliffe just lost her world record. She is, still very much a prominent and public figure uh, in search for perhaps a little bit of definition uh, with her career going forward. And Hesse is Nike's most talented North American athlete going into an Olympic year. Uh, they want to kind of leave all this NOP Salazar stuff in the back in the rear view. And this seems like a very convenient and nice PR move. That's my, that's the cynical way of saying it at least. Uh, the positive way of seeing it is, is these are, Two great, super talented athletes, uh, and hopefully we'll see great things in a sub-220 marathon from Jordan S.A. in 2020, I guess. Topic number four. There was a race in Japan. Alex, 400 runners cracked what in the half marathon distance? What time? 70 minutes. 400 runners under 70 minutes under 110 one hour and 10 minutes 70 minutes for a half marathon 400 tell us a little bit more about that that's nuts yeah so we saw a picture it's hard to find full results because it's on a japanese website but as soon as you look at the picture it looks fast so the athletes start on the track most of them are wearing nike four percents and the winner ran a 61 26 which is very very quick but things get crazier as you look down the results list so the hundredth place finisher at this race ran 64 37 so there's 100 runners between the 61 and change and the 64 within, so that's like a packed group of people coming through the finish line yeah within three minutes about yeah 100 runners cross the finish line if you compare that to another race let's say the toronto half marathon the 100th place finisher in toronto ran 
122.34, which I think is pretty good. That's, that's actually quite respectable. That's I a would strong have, time. I and then I thought it was slower, actually, yeah. You keep going lower. Let's compare 200th place finisher. The 200th place finisher at this Japanese, it's, it's the Egeo Half Marathon, at this race ran 66.15. In Toronto, the 200th place finisher, 127. So it was just an incredibly deep race. And that's funny because 127, like on a recreational level, that's like one. 127 is okay. It's I a mean, good it's time. A, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's a respectable time. I think a lot there are a lot of people that would like to run under an hour and a half for a half marathon, you know, of recreational quality. And this is, by comparison, this is nuts. I mean, Andrew, I think this suggests that the Japanese are completely obsessed with distance running. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I, I remember at the, uh, the Toronto Waterfront Marathon, um, press conference the the japanese ambassador there saying that that distance running was one of their most popular sporting events there which which i actually thought was kind of shocking i didn't i didn't really i know they've there's been an upsurge and we've seen a lot of good japanese runners lately but that was interesting to to hear um i, I also thought it was interesting on the, on the same note apparently yeah 179 of those 400 runners were under 66 minutes which is like like kind of like sub elite like that's oh that's like a that, i mean in canada that would be elite and in in the us it would be right at the edge right i mean that's that's on the when you especially if you get into the 64 60 like <laughs> here's an interesting thing though we haven't seen a world beater from japan yet we have so no, so so many runners who are running you know these elite to sub elite time 61 is very very good but we haven't seen a 58 59 minute well, Japanese 58 is the world record 5801 okay. give it give it 59 i i, I think like a sub know, one hour type yeah i don't think we've seen it we haven't seen it in japan at least in, in recent years so i'm wondering you know when is when is one of these 200 runners going to make that breakthrough and challenge and right you want to stage you want to see a, a japanese runner that can run a marathon and say uh 203 or four or something like that or same lower. thing yeah extrapolated yeah. to the marathon same deal yeah right right oh, it's, i mean i think all things considered, I think the 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 Olympic marathon next summer, just from a spectator standpoint, is going to be bananas. I think it's going to be the streets will be packed. I imagine because it seems like uh, running there is the equivalent of I don't know, like what's the analog in 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 the U.S. like foot uh, like football or yeah, probably football. So this would be yeah. like the Super Bowl. Uh, on the streets. Uh, so I, I think it'll be really exciting. I think it'll make for a really dynamic, exciting series of marathons to watch. Interesting tailgating parties. Oh yeah. <laughs> Japanese beer and sake. <laughs> All right. Last topic of the day of the week. This is my personal favorite. It's a opinion piece in, on the site fastrunning.com entitled, why you're doing the wrong Berlin marathon. It's written by Ali Beaven. Uh, it was actually published a couple of weeks ago, but we only happened upon it this week. My apologies, but it was too delicious to pass up. Uh, the writer argues that the Berlin marathon we all know and love uh, is in fact not the pinnacle of Berlin marathons. <laughs> And that there is a version of the Berlin Marathon that takes place the day before. And no, it's not with 47,000 runners. It is with 5,000 athletes who are wearing what, Andrew? Uh, it is a rollerblading marathon. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, uh, I do have a couple questions about this with, with regulation. Well, I mean, I have lots of questions about this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, when we're talking rollerblading, are we talking talking inline skates here? Are we talking, um, like, the, the four-wheel rollerblades? What kind of brakes do they have? Oh, they like have carbon the fiber plates. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, I think Vapor the fly rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world record is for on the men's side at least is for inline um, skates. So so I think those are the ones with the they're all in a row. It's not the two and two wheels. Um, but the world record was set in 2015 by Bart Swings, which is a, a great name for a rollerblader in 56:49. That's a great name for a rollerblader. <laughs> <laughs> It is actually. It's like if you were to imagine a, a roller, a professional elite rollerblader, that would be Bart Swain. It so works best it. for the roller derbies. You know, where the ones you have to push people off the circle. I think yeah. that's a Bart Swings. That's a name for roller derby. Oh, that's it. You're right. That's like when you retire from the pure speed event, you get into the derby. You get into the full contact. Yeah. Do those still exist? I know Michael. You have a pretty uh, extensive rollerblading past. I have a I have zero a zero rollerblading past. I uh, I did own rollerblades because I was a child of the the eighties and nineties. So I very clearly remember the rollerblading boom, the great ro- rollerblading scare of the early nineties. I was a skateboarder, and I just remember like the kind of the the least the the least adventurous, the least badasses badass of the badasses <laughs> would showed up with the rollerblades on, trying to do like handrail tricks and jumps and whatever. And get on the half pipe on rollerblades. So. Like the skiers to the snowboarders. That's exactly that's the perfect analog. Yeah, I, I do distinctly remember early nineties with uh, with some green hair, some forty one playing in the background and, and guys rollerblading. So I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're dating yourself. Uh, this piece is hilarious. It's funny. The guy argues that um, that rollerblading is just so much more chill. And he's like, you know, the race is on the Saturday. It's the day before. So he's like, you know, it, it takes place in the afternoon. First of all, it's very civilized, not the morning. So it's like, I wake up. First of all, I sleep in, I go for a nice brunch. I drink a few afternoon pints. <laughs> Get on my roller. Nice. And I throw the skates over my shoulder and go walk to the start line in Berlin. And he's like, it's, it's all done in around an hour, you know, a little over an hour, a little under an hour, depending how quick you are. It's speedy. They go about 45 kilometers an hour, which is fast and kind of scary. He said uh, skating on the streets of Berlin was like like floating on a magic carpet. It was like, uh, you know, rolling along in a pair of velvet slippers, I believe was one of his analogies. Um, I don't know. Sounds pretty good to me. Uh, he said afterwards, life didn't hurt that much. He's watching everyone limping around with all these sore quads and able not able to walk down stairs the right way and meanwhile he's just like he's good he's all good so closing question yeah the world record the men's world record is 56 49 i know it's kind of disappointing i was hoping it would be like around an hour so we could have the like uh the breaking one challenge <laughs> so the question remains put some rollerblades on kipchoge get nike to design a wheel that's more efficient than the wheel that we know Give him carbon plates. How fast can he go in a marathon? In a can Nike reinvent the wheel? Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's the marketing right there. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, the xc.substack.com, if you've not already. Totally free. Comes out regularly. We've got 
at least one piece of content each week, including this podcast. We'll be doing some interesting stuff in the next, in the upcoming weeks. Andrew, you actually have something that you've been working on with an athlete who wrote a uh, opinion column, a personal essay column for us, uh, kind of inspired by the Mary Kane situation. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, we were lucky enough to have um, Shannon Kennedy, who's a, a multiple um, offset champion, um, write, write something up for us. Um, just her reaction to the op-ed and, and kind of how her, her career was affected by it. Um, just because as um, three guys sitting in a room, we, uh, we can't always grapple with, uh, with these kind of issues. Her experience was not dissimilar to Mary Kane's, so... No, not at all, and, and sadly, she's she's kind of left the sport, um, but but has taken up rowing and has had some, some real success as a rower and seems to be on a, a very healthy path, so... That's a great read, and it's a, a, a very strong piece by her, very well written as well, uh, and we thank her for participating. All right, uh, have a great weekend. <laughs>